Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. Well, today we're accompanied by Dr. Jim O'Neill, also known as the theologian, theological Dr. J, because he does a slam dunk every time. <laughs> uh, and he's a pro's pro. Uh, I had him at Liberty University uh, during my time in the seminary there. And he also leads the Next Gen Network. Uh, Dr. J, welcome to the Transform 365 podcast. I'm oh, joined man, here thanks. with uh, John, my uh, co-host, and we're just really pleased to have you. Thanks, Cody and John. Great to be with you and thrilled with what you guys are doing. So thanks for inviting me into your airspace. <laughs> of course. Uh, if you would, please give us a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, just uh, get everybody acquainted with who Dr. J is. Yeah, it's good. Uh, by the way, for your audience, and especially those who love Cody, I did pass him. <laughs> he, he almost got an A. It was, it was a B plus, but... You know, to his credit, of the 20 students in the class, only 18 of them got an A. <laughs> and then the other two got a B plus. So anyway, just the joy out of that. So again, no yeah, respect. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was a great joy to have Cody in the class. And I've been a cheerleader for his good work. Um, I grew up in uh, just outside of Philly, a city called Reading. Um, wonderful. Wonderful Catholic parents, mom and dad, just the, both of them born out of Europe coming to the U.S. And uh, so I had a lot of the old world values in me. But then the 60s hit and the 70s and my mom and dad just didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> the world pretty radically changed. And I and I'm sitting in the middle of all that as a young man and just such such radical changes coming. Things get redefined so overtly. And I. I just followed along on the path. I was being discipled by our culture and just became a fine pagan. Yeah, I, be, I became what America was producing, I think. And I was trying to understand what was it that they wanted me to be? And I, I, I journeyed into this place and space. I remember one time with all of my buds, the guys I did drugs with one day, one brother said in that environment, the world's coming to one big party. And I sat there and I thought, but why does it hurt the next morning? Yeah. Mm, yeah. The, the hangovers and the stuff and the like, and uh, just really, really did a deep dive into Pagansville, USA. And a bunch of my friends died, drug related deaths. And, and you start going to funerals and you're really beginning to arm wrestle the thought, is there an eternity? Mm. And is there a God? And um, one time I'm mid seventies, whenever, whenever the exorcist came out, I went to watch the movie, you know, and I'm minding my own business and, and the, and the movie just scares the bejeebies out of you. Yes. <laughs> Not only you, everybody, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'm sitting in the middle of it, watching it. And these thoughts creep up in my mind. Wait a second. Is there a spirit world? Cause I'm thinking as a naturalist, as a materialist, right. I'm taught evolution. So if all that there is natural man this, this movie's talking about another dimension that we have rejected. Mm. Spirit world. And I'm sitting there thinking, and my categories are, are going ballistic on me. <laughs> and in the midst of that, these thoughts hit me. There might be a spirit world. And in that spirit world, if there's evil, this, these next two thoughts hit me. Might there be good? And if there's good, could there be a God? Mm. Now, I know they didn't make the exorcist, exorcist for my faith. But I walked out of that movie with hope. Yeah, you went, went out seeking. Yeah. And a little while later, Jesus invades my world. I came to faith. Stopped this accounting degree on absolutely nowhere. It's hard to study accounting with numbers when you're stoned all the time. <laughs> and uh, amazing, God immediately puts a burden on my heart for ministry. And 
meet my wife, Sterling. Uh, we were studying at Liberty University. I went down and found out in this newfound faith, they had churches, they had pastors, they had bookstores, mm. right? They had missions. And all of it was so new to me. I was just a very fine sheltered pagan. And uh, next thing I know, God's calling me to plant a church in America. And then after that, I made the mistake of doing a short-term trip with a mentor there at Liberty to Asia. And then I began to realize, oh, my word, there are billions of people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. And it became harder and harder justifying staying in the U.S. So God calls us to the nations next 13 years. Sterling and I wound up in Asia. And, and one of the beautiful things there for me was um, it took me a couple of years to, to figure this out. But God discipled me through an unredeemed pagan culture who did oikos better in their unredeemed state than we do here in America as followers of Jesus. Mm. And it just really humbled me to think if I have a heart to receive, I can, I can learn things from people who don't know the Lord because I realized they're image bearers of God. Mm. Yeah. That was phenomenal for me in this journey. And then I, I learned about their, their spirit world. We'd missed it. Um, it was crucial to begin to understand their core motivations. And that was huge in my discipleship. 13 years later, this guy named Jerry Falwell asks me back, who really didn't take no for an answer, <laughs> to, to, to teach at Liberty. And that was phenomenal. COVID. My brother-in-law uh, said when, when Jerry was on campus and you know living, uh, he's alive right now with the Lord, but when he was uh, on this side of heaven, that uh, he would storm in in his car. And it seemed like he was always purposely trying to run over my brother. <laughs> but he would always come out and give him a big hug and, you know, be excited to see him. So <laughs> just amazing exposure to be mentored by the man, to be believed in by yeah. the man. But then I'm teaching missiology at Liberty. That was phenomenal, guys. And what a, what a privilege. That helped to really form and shape me. I, I saw this huge bifurcation between what theology was teaching and what I was teaching in missiology. Mm. And I framed it, who God is and what God does have been segmented. And I just really began this heavy pursuit to re-wed these together, to teach pastors, to take books of the Bible, to understand the mission of God in those books, and they equip their people from those. So that was phenomenal to sit in that space. And then the uh, next 16 years, I'm leading a mission agency and a uh, couple of two mission agencies. And that was just another great exposure to, to learn administrative leadership and missions, bring organizational change. But what also hit me in that space was this great need for young leaders. And we, that's when Sterling and I created this Next Gen Leaders Conference and this Next Gen Movement. And out of that, guys, you know, I started to go to conferences where pastors, the students I was teaching here in America, they were going to these big conferences Mm -hmm. So every year I decided I need to go to one conference a year with these pastors. So I understand what, what they're being taught, what they're hearing, what yeah. their perception and their narrative, their imagination is for church, for pastoring, for a mission. And that's, that's what ignited in me a, a profound burden for this next gen theme, because the two thoughts that hit me in that, in those exposures with these pastors. And if I named the names, everybody would know them, the big boys here in our country. One was, Everything was way too well manicured for me. The presentation of the content of the material. And the second thing was they had all the answers. Mm, yeah. And I was thinking in Asia, so much of my ministry was mess mm. and grappling with huge questions. So when Stern and I founded the Next Gen Movement, we really wanted to allow the space of weakness and brokenness and mess to be part of the discipleship of leaders. So all of these things, you know, God takes and he, you know, how he does like only God can. He gives us a curriculum. We try to learn marinades deep in our souls. And from that time on, just God has continues to give us doors to pour into young leaders. Yeah. So that, that's a little bit of our story. In the middle of that, I'm teaching a guy named Cody. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when, when you're with students, some just resonate with you. You got some rewards connect. in heaven just for that. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was great. Out of that, Cody and I, just by way of conversation through the course content, 
and emailing led to a chat by phone, led to a visit, and just has grown a deep and wonderful relationship. So that's kind of been the MO for Sterling and me is just we we're we're we want to be friends to the souls of leaders. Cody just so happens to qualify. And the other thing that if I could just say this and then we'll get off the point. You know, the reality was Cody liked me. So that was cool. <laughs> he can't stop talking yeah, about you. Doc. You're very likable, doc, Dr. J. Especially when you came down here to visit us at our church. Yeah, uh, that, that was, was a special time. Yeah, it was special, memorable. Yeah, and um, our congregation really was blessed by uh, what you presented, you and your wife. Well, you make a lot of sense there because, um, you know, today it seems like the church in America is one prescription fits all. Right. Um, and the goal of most churches in the United States, and, and this, I say most because I don't want to remove from people that are taking a different pattern and a different paradigm with their approach. But for the most point, it's let's do bigger, better. Um, and it's let's box this up and reproduce that. And the thing is, is Jesus went to, I mean, one of his favorite titles, right? What he said, what do they say about me? I'm the friend of the drunkard and the prostitute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he directly came to the Pharisees when they were testing him on that. And he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Mm, Yeah. And you hit the point is that um, when you were ministering in Asia, you were ministering with not a one size fits all, but a, okay, let's, let's approach this problem. I don't have all the answers, but we do know the guy that has all the answers and spoke you and I into existence. So let's work on this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the, the healthier approach when it comes to <clears throat> biblical church. One of the, one of the humbling aspects of our 13 years in behold was that it took me seven years. Now I, I'm on the slow track. Some pick it up a lot quicker, but it took me seven years to learn to finally see how the gospel can flow with the culture, not against it. Yeah. But you have got to spend time in the culture. You've got to spend time asking the questions. What are the core questions lurking deep in the hearts of the people that you're trying? And if you unlock that core, they will guide you to sharing the gospel with them. And that's hard work, though. Yeah. You know, you know, that doesn't that doesn't sell quickly on newsletters. Yeah, no, discipleship is a process in a lifetime. And if you're really going to do church properly, I, I think, or or let's just say if we're going to disciple people to be learners of Christ, it's going to be a process, it's going to take time rather than just uh filling pews. Um you know, and I think you you yeah. make a, a great point is you have to know the culture, you know, here you know, John and I, we work in Miami. And um, one of the things that uh, we connected on very quickly on, because you were doing a class on spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. And that's when I first got, had you as my professor. And um, it was amazing. Some of the comments of the students were kind of like, Dr. J, do you think that demons are really active? I mean, how often is this stuff really happening? And here I'm writing like, yeah, uh, you know, i I've experienced people that are into a voodoo, uh, a type of voodoo. It's a Mediterranean voodoo called Santeria here in Miami. Mm. Um, and um, they there's demon possession. Uh, we've known people and actually we have a testimony coming up very soon of one of our uh, members here at the church of being demon possessed and Mm. having to have demons cast Mm. out of her. Um, And then she trusts Christ and it's just like her whole world turns around but just the reality of that is that that is the spiritual realm is a real place. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's physical. Maybe we don't see it, but it is real. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that the church here in the United States, I think just largely we don't interact with it because it's not part of our culture. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but here in Miami, it's a very real thing. I mean, uh, you drive by and I remember when you were, you were down here, I told you, if you drive by any of the neighborhoods, especially surrounding our church, you'll see these little, what look like concrete dog houses in front of everybody's house, mm-hmm. um, in the neighborhood. And you'll see a little statue and little cups of water and little flowers and little, uh, you know, and dead chickens yeah, in, in, on the railroad out and, 
and there's dead chickens and yeah. gold and coins and goat heads and things left at railroad tracks and even thrown over our fence. We've seen that a few times, yeah. as, you know, people uh, try to put hexes on the church by, you know, sacrificing a crow or whatever, you know, um, and it's a very real thing here in Miami. But I think that's something that uh, is a lot more alive in other cultures. You know, you speak of Asia and the things that take place over there. And I know that uh, from our missionaries in like Pakistan and the Muslim countries in Africa, that that's a very real thing. Having to deal with the witch doctor before you, you know, really have a great breakthrough with a, you know, a tribe in in, in the continent of Africa um, or, you know, having to deal with, um, you know, the spirits. And I put that in quotations, but really the demonic influences in the Asian culture, because they think these are their past relatives and having to kind of overcome that because they make sacrifices and things of that, this, the, the, um, kind of deification of their own past family members, but that's a very Mm. real aspect. And, and, uh, I think that in the United States, we really don't, I wouldn't say have an appreciation, but really don't fully grasp that for the most part. What are, what are your thoughts? In, in the West, generally, it's more of a, 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 the demonic is much more overt. I'm sorry, it's more covert here in the West. Yeah. It's in the culture. Satan hides behind elements of lies. In the, in the, in the majority world settings, it's much more overt, where the demonic has been given much more freedom to, to run and, and to really influence. Now, as you mentioned, even about dealing with ancestral worship, what I find fascinating about that is it still has hints of the hunger of the heart to worship. Mm. So it's a pointer, even though they've pointed in the wrong direction, which is typical, isn't it? All the good gifts God's given to us get, get contorted. And this is certainly a case in point. So it, 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 is, it is significant to me that we here in the West who, who want to secularize the world haven't been able to do it. Yeah. And even those who migrate uh, in the diaspora coming east to west, they, they wind up bringing it with them. That they can't get this, this hunger in their hearts for worship. They can't get it secularized. It's just fascinating to me to see that that God keeps whispering, and even we here in the West, I, I think, our, our own secularization, isn't it fa- fascinating? Maybe, you know, you could, you could say, uh, here, was a, here was a 60-year experiment that failed. 60 years, the former Soviet Union tried to impose the secularization on their citizens. And mm. the first moment they got a chance to jettison that and their hearts were opened up because the heart hungers to worship. They did. Yeah. And so I just, I have to smile and just say, go God. Yeah. Because even no matter what the world tries to do, God is slowly bending people back toward Jesus and his gospel. And then privileged to bring folks like you and me into that airspace. Yeah. There's never, I would say, um, you know, and, and speaking to that is the idea that Russia wanted to be the first, um, the first atheist nation, Mm -hmm. I guess you would say. And they felt like they kicked God out, but the underground church was so alive. And when the freedom and the mask and the veil was lifted, uh, there was just millions of Christians that came out, and, you know, just publicly now that they had the freedom to were speaking out and the same with with China, you know, is yeah. uh, when when the West got kicked and booted out um, and, and th- this was also true with Japan um, when when the West and the church got kicked out, uh, the church stayed very much alive in those nations because the word of God does not stay silent. And that's just a beautiful yeah. thought. God is always at work. That, that needs to encourage us. You know, when you, one of the questions you had here, when you're talking about the state of the health of the church globally, you know, probably over the last 10 years, I would probably say a good decade, the, the most vibrant growth by way of nation 
would be Iran. Mm. And who would have thought of that 40 years ago, right? When yeah. Iran uh, invaded the U.S. Embassy and uh, the Republican Guard, as they called them, these supposed students. And we got kind of, in a sense, we, we got shamed globally. We America, Americans, in the process. And so we took it, uh, we, we, we took it hard. But, you know, what's interesting is that's why the beauty of our citizenship being a bond above America, that our citizenship is in heaven, yeah. that we do have an, uh, an allegiance to a king and a kingdom beyond us, because what Jesus did in Iran has led to the last 10 years of some of the most vibrant faith in the world today. And it's just really beautiful to watch. So yeah, the Lord for we, we can be encouraged. You know, we just keep reminding ourselves, even with what just happened in Afghanistan, God's not silent. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God's not silent. It, it may take us a decade to even get what he was trying to do or doing, but I think we can be encouraged. If we espouse the, the central tenet of our faith, God is sovereign, we can trust that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Dr. J, I got a question. Um, Going back to the topic of, of pastors, uh, you being a seminary professor and also uh, just working with pastors, have you seen a, a decline in, in people and in men becoming pastors or, or have you seen an increase in men becoming pastors lately? You know, um, uh, generally, I, I, <laughs> I'm fond of saying, because I spend so much time with you guys, you're kind. <laughs> um, I, I'm fond of saying you guys are an endangered species. <laughs> Be, because um, the, 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 the cultural expect, our, our cultural expectations across the board, what we expect of one another just keeps ratcheting up with every new technological development. Mm. It, it creates this sort of odious expectation on us as humans name any any endeavor or field of life right but especially the doctor of the soul and here are these pastors that's why i just think it's been really tough i think a lot of churches are hurting for pastors mm. because most pastors now or men who are studying for ministry um they don't want to assume a church a pastorate they want to plant Mm -hmm. because they 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 see they see the dysfunction that has taken place at the local church level and they're they're really um it 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 has caused great pause and caution in them to even consider that as a viable option wow. yeah Re so I, I would i would generally hard. say john that um that the culture of expectations has really impacted pastors in the last 10 to 15 years in a way that it, it's just, it just makes it hard, wow. yeah. Yeah. you know? And, and so with social media, one slip, you're not even given permission to make a mistake. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. One slip and it's out. Yeah. And it's, it's like, is there a place for forgiveness? Even, <laughs> even we, and the, even ministers of the gospel, so you, you feel that, right? And so generally, as a general rule, I'm, I'm not overly encouraged um, for the pastoral fraternity in our country. And those of you who really press into it, put your hand to the plow, it's just so commendable. Mm. Now, let, let, can I, can I, let me just give an, uh, an advertisement here. Uh, if any of the members from the church with Cody and John are listening to my voice today, can I encourage you to just text them a note saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for shepherding. Thanks mm. for serving us. Thanks for loving, pressing in in the tough places. Thanks for being the voice of Jesus mm. in these tough moments that we've gone through the last two years. So that was a commercial to the saints. Now back to <laughs> no, thanks. That's awesome. I'll, I'll send you my check for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. J, what are, what would you say, you know, now that we're, we're looking at this idea of, of yes, um, there's less guys, I guess you would say in the West wanting to go into ministry or, or really kind of wanting to 
revitalize churches, right? Um, they would rather kind of start from fresh. But what would you say is the common struggles um, that you see facing pastors today, not just here in the United States, but abroad as well? What is kind of the common struggles? Because you minister to the pastor's soul. Uh, that is one of your, your big ministries in life. You know, um, your, your, your calling at this moment is to minister to pastors. So what would you say is the, the common struggle that pastors are talking to you about? Well, um, the sexual revolution is, is upon pastors that they're having to wrestle with and arm wrestle with. Mm. Who would have thought even a decade ago that you would have to be wrestling with moms and dads coming to you because of an identity crisis with your, their nine-year-old daughter. Yeah. Mm. I, I, who would have thought? Yeah. And you're just thinking, oh, my word, all I want to do is win a few folks to Christ, disciple a few people. Mm-hmm. Help them grow and fall in love with Jesus. Have a great family. And all of a sudden, you're, you're arm wrestling the sexual revolution. I, that's got to be at the top of the scales. And you, when, you, when you incorporate into that the impact of porn on our society and all the members yeah. and so forth, that has to be huge. The other, the other parts are, that, you know, they're, they're, as I would mentioned, there's these, there's these cultural expectations placed on the pastoral job description you didn't sign up for yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but they're they're really foisted uh, upon you and it's hard work just trying to understand the shifting cultural expectations and the other and this is where i i I would i would just continue to try to argue for uh, a simpler church that there are structures pastoral structures that you have to live in that in many ways shift your demands that where the affections of your heart really want to lie. I want to love Jesus. I want to love my people. I want to equip them. I want to see movements grow, but over here I'm having to be a good business manager. Mm -hmm. And so you've got structures, you've got bills to pay, you've got buildings to tend to. And all of that almost you wind up and, 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 and I, I think we have to be sympathetic to you pastors where the shift comes where you have to be a CEO and your calling is to be shepherd. Yeah. But yet you have stewardship issues now that you've got the facilities, you don't dynamite them yeah. and start all over. So the business working, of church is tough. That is for sure. Working toward simplification, the simpler the church model the greater and the easy is the reproduction, mm. the more sophisticated, the harder it is to reproduce. That's why when we export church from the U S to the rest of the world, and we've exported our sophistications, it it is, it has limited the impact of the church because in those parts of the world, because now we, we have placed those structures, those systems, those finances, those educational demands upon a church. And the simpler we can stay, with Jesus, then the greater you have the opportunity to be the shepherd God's called you to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a depressing uh, assessment. So forgive me for, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, okay. I, I think, I think for you guys, and, but I, but I, but I love the fact that at least, you know, my time with you guys, you're, you're, you're constantly arm wrestling the desire to love and disciple your people that reproduces. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I, I commend you for really trying to fight hard to get back to that place. And then it, as you look at your time component in any given week, how much time are you able to actually devote to discipling and equipping your people in the way of Jesus mm. in very intentional touches, you know, and you just see it's, it's at that 10%, 5%. Yeah. and the others is to the systems and the structures and you just you have to work hard yeah i think i think having a, a good team is key yeah. in in today's uh in the west church model uh because you know you kind of look at what you know scripture says when when this when the apostles were having to man the church in jerusalem they started looking around and they say well you know it's not good for us to have to wait on tables you know, we need to be devoted to prayer and to the devotion of the word of God, you know, 
so what should we do? And what did they do? They created the deacons. And mm. I think that's where um, pastors just kind of have to say, you know what, I need to stay focused on what I was called to yeah. um, rather than being a great business mind. And, um, you know, just get the right people around me, I think is going to be key. Yeah. You know, look, 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 look at your, look at your job descriptions. And if any pastors are listening in, look at your job description, where in the job description does it say central and primarily prayer, the ministry of prayer and yeah. the ministry of the word of God, yes. yeah. not yeah. just my devotional prayer life. The mm-hmm. text calls for the outward expression. I'm out in the community praying into it, yeah. my people, and the word into my people. I mean, so look at the job description. Look at any job description that you've been given. Where is the place of prayer? Where is the expectation by the elders upon you pastors that says, Pastor, we want to make sure that you're devoting an hour every day in office time on your knees? Yeah. Mm. I know of no. Yo, man. Pastor, no elders, no lead team that places that as a primary function. And so when you look at the apostolic job, the self job description, their self assessment, I mean, that's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So it, even it, with a team. Has it always been like yeah. this, Doc? Or is just the just the just the, the world that we live in now? What do you, you what know, would you say? In the West, we're blessed. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're blessed with products, with systems. Yeah. with resources, with finances. And, and that as the church has gotten more sophisticated and moved from the house, the oikos, yeah. into bigger structures, it's required more management. And in the West here, poor, poor Cody, you know, he, how often does he need to consult his attorney to make sure he's not <laughs> getting sued by somebody? <laughs> Cody's not only the pastor here, but he's also our IT director. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's the best when it comes to computers. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's the downside. <laughs> Cody stopped being so good yeah, yeah. <laughs> at so many. So, you, you know, you, you wrestle with those yeah. sorts of things. Oh, yeah, but yeah. if you could go back the first 300 years of the movement of the church, it was a house church movement. And, and in its simplicity, mm. it, it was, its reproduction was vibrant and dynamic and organic. And that's hard. It's hard to stay at that level, you know? Yeah, for sure. But that's, that, that would be the goal is what you want to press back toward. And, and, and certainly globally, and this is not scientific, but O'Neill says <laughs> probably about 90% of the church globally meets somewhere akin to homes. And so our structures and systems as, 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 as significant as they are and as blessed as we are here in the West, they're an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's hard to reproduce that. You, you don't export that to the nations. Let me ask you, what, what would your advice be to someone that is feeling the call uh, to start a church really, you know, just, feeling the call to plant or feeling the call to become a pastor, what would be your advice to them? Hmm. Just, yeah, you no. know, as they're testing it out, right? You know, um, first, praise God. Bless you. Uh, I'm praying for you right now. Yeah. <laughs> that if that's you, if, if, if what Cody and John have just framed is you, bless you. Um, I, I really like Acts 13, 1 to 3, when the spirit descends upon this lead team in Antioch. Um, the spirit uh, deploys Barnabas and Saul for the work to which he had called them. But what was interesting was the other part of the leadership team confirmed it. Mm. So it's really helpful in a sense of a call. Are there leaders around you who could confirm that? Mm. Don't, don't go this alone. As you're hearing from Jesus, Ask Jesus to make sure that the spiritual leaders for whom you're a part of, whatever that's supposed to look like, um, ask for confirmation in this process. I think that's one. Number two, I'd say walk with a couple of church planners. Find out where they are and walk in their shoes a bit. And if you're married, take your wife with you. It's a package deal. Your wife has to understand that this, I don't think there's anything that I've experienced in ministry more challenging to my soul than church planning. Sterling and I were part of three church plants in Asia. 
nothing harder to my soul than church planning. And I, so I walk with a couple of church planners who are out ahead of you <clears throat> on that per- particular journey. And I think that would be, they think that would be huge. And then they, another thought would be build a prayer team. Yeah. Don't, don't go this alone. Take five, 10 Sterling. And I have about 800 prayer partners. Of course, mm. you guys are part of our prayer partner team. Um, we have 800 prayer partners get 20, uh, get, get, get 50, ask them to covenant to pray with you for a year yeah. and then be communicating with them short snippets, weekly prayer, bring them together when you can. And then whatever culture you're going to, you have to become a student of that culture. Even if you're in America, uh, the, the cultures are shifting so radically now. Please don't assume that you know the culture just because they speak the same language as you, or maybe they have the same skin pigmentation as you or so forth. The culture is shifting. Uh, yeah. You have to exit. understand the area. That is for yeah. sure. And, and that requires spending time, become a friend at at least five coffee shops in your community mm. and uh, ask your support team to support you for uh, five cups of coffee a day. <laughs> <laughs> Cuban coffee. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm so with you. That's how when you're sitting in the community around cups of coffee, that's why I'm so thankful for coffee shops. I think yeah. they've been God's vehicle for world evangelization. <laughs> how are but those three, those three churches that you plan in Asia? How are they doing? Uh, the second one just got subsumed into a church, the tent next town over. The other two are thriving. Oh, nice. One was a lower class. The other was a professional class back in the capital city praise god and very fascinating and though they're you know they're really they're really thinking well although they got huge speed bumps along the way Mm -hmm. um the first church plant really felt like america i'm embarrassed as i think about the 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 forms that we used Mm. Uh, you know it took me time to learn to understand the, the the crucial nature of function and culture function and form but I think by the third church plant, we were really working well and creating systems that were really much more honoring to the culture. But they're, thanks for asking, John. Mm-hmm. In the coming kingdom, the Boholano, it's so unnerving. They were born with a guitar in their hands. <laughs> so in the coming kingdom, John, when we're before the throne of the Lamb, grab me. We'll go over to the Boholanos <laughs> and we'll worship together. And they'll all yeah. have their guitars. So they're kind of like the Levites. They're the, they'll be in the kingdom. They'll be the ones worshiping in charge of the worship. That's <laughs> how the, God will assign them. That's great. It's beautiful. That and poetry are their gifts <laughs> to, to the global church. Dr. J, you spend a lot of time, a, a lot of your time and focus training and coaching. Um, I shouldn't say coaching pastors. I, w- I won't say training, really coaching, coming alongside, really, because uh, coaching and, and training is different. Coaching, you are taking what they already have and just calling it out of them. But you're coaching pastors to run with God's vision for their church. Um, can you give us the idea behind that and how it formulated in your own mind? Yeah, no, that's a thank you, uh, Cody. I appreciate the question. Um, it's kind of funny. You ever just fall into a ministry? <laughs> you know, yeah, something to, yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe for maybe for Cody, it was IT. You fall into it, and so what happened was when I came back, when Stir and I came back from Asia, and we're teaching at Liberty for five years, and then at the fifth year, I get this surprise invitation to lead the mission agency we had served under. I just started spending time with my students who were getting plugged in the ministries. And so I'm traveling, my itinerant speaking really ratcheted up. If I knew they were in the area I was going, I would add in a two-hour luncheon, driving or flying. And that's how it worked. That's how I fell into it. I, I just loved sitting with them and hearing their stories. It would be a two-hour lunch. And I'd, I'd ask one question, Cody. Everybody get this down. This is very sophisticated and insightful. Here's the question I asked them. Everybody ready? <laughs> I asked, how are you doing? Yeah. That was it. And, and I, I was hearing their hearts. They were, they were disillusioned. They were, they were frustrated. They were angry. That it wasn't what they had expected. It, what uh, Implicit expectations versus explicit. And it was and it was frustrating, and, and I, this is what I'm hearing. And I think I thought I think at that point, Cody and John, 
I just wanted to be a friend to pastors because, mm. you know, it's tough. Spiritual, it's spiritual warfare to begin with, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. Warfare, period, first and foremost. So that's spiritual battle, and that's lonely. And sometimes it's just nice, isn't it, to have a, a friend outside of the church family for whom you can really share something deep in your soul. So that's the first story of me. She, she joins me in this. Because a lot of times we have husbands and wives together and we have just found. So I, I'm, as I travel, I, I rarely ever go anywhere where I'm not um, meeting with a pastor. Mm. That's why I say I fell into it and it's, (laughs) it's the sophisticated question. You know, it just, it's, it sounds so simple, isn't it? But, but when you're able to talk about matters of the heart, Cody, isn't it beautiful? You and I have had some deep chats mm. and it's been mutual Yeah, stuff of the heart. It, it, there's, there's a, there's a two-way connection here. To me, it's some of the deeper joys of our tasks as, as fellow ministers of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Doc, I remember when you came down to our church and you challenged the congregation um, to invite people to come over to your home and just to fellowship with them and just talk and, you know, pray and do stuff like that. Um, the idea of breaking bread. Yeah, exactly. That's what you said. And um, why, why is the home important to the church and, and the big C is that what the big C the the idea of Oikos, the home, Yeah, you know, how is that so vitally important to the little C church when it incorporates to the big C church? Mm. There you go. You know, um, (laughs) we've really made Jesus too sophisticated. (laughs) What, when you think about the family and the central place of family and the narrative in the new Testament, probably the leading metaphor for ecclesia for church Mm -hmm. and oikos, which is the second dominant word in terms of gatherings, households is family. Mm. It's just this beautiful picture that the church as a body is family. And the closer we can keep it, what do families do that are both good, bad, and ugly, but it's still family? Mm-hmm. There is something profound about when, when neighbors are invited in to see families living out the way of Jesus wonderfully and perfectly. It's a profound witness. It's a beautiful witness. And sometimes you don't even use words. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's the, it's the mess of life and, and your, your, your kid screams and you look at your guests and you, you're embarrassed and you say words like this. I am so sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but, but those are beautiful words, aren't they? Yeah. Those, Those are words of vulnerability. Those are words of honesty. It's rawness. And I think that's what the home has to offer to us. And this, this oikos, it, it is the language of every nation. Every nation has the place where the table, I like to say the table is the transcultural place for pre-evangelism, evangelism, basic discipleship, leadership development, and community in Jesus. Wow. And it can all be around a loaf of bread, of course, for me. It's essential for the kingdom. It's a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's why I say God's it, gift it is, to life. <laughs> it is so beautiful. And, and yet, what happened over time with the church was the restaurant replaced the home yes. <laughs> oh, wow. as yes. the as the place where life could be lived together and you're in, and you're inviting people in we we had a we had a collaboration initiative last week Cody and John and we had 20 young leaders from all around the world with us for two and a half days and our goal through both identity and vision was to ask them to dream together, to collaborate, toward pressing to the edges of the unreached. The two nights we were together was in our home, 20 wow. of us together. And, and what they said when we were done was, can we do this again? And rather than meeting over in the church, could we just meet in your home, Jim? Because this is Oikos, and we want to do this. And it was funny to hear them uh, affirm something that all of our hearts love. Yeah. You know, it wasn't sophisticated, amazing worship, but it was so simple. And and sharing and praying. When one brother, the the, the lead worshiper from from Brazil, broke down in, in our last night and he was and he was broken. 
the last two years have been so tough on him down in Brazil. And he said he has literally lost his voice with worship for two years. And these two and a half days, he was finding it back. Wow. And, and you should have seen on, on the floor in our room, right? Right around the couches and the chairs and, 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 and still some food laying around and <laughs> coffee spilled. Shane comes over and says, Dad, can we give him a couple of minutes? I say, sure, Shane. And right there on the floor, Shane goes over, has him kneel down. Shane puts his hands on his feet. Everybody comes around and they pray over him. That's family. How, how, how do you, that, that's, that translate, it's so life-giving, it's so transformative. And yet it captured all of our imaginations that we hunger for this. We hunger for this level of authenticity. Yeah, you're inviting think, somebody into the personal. Mm. If, if the, the closer we can keep the mission of Jesus to the family, the greater the potential to reach the world for Jesus. Wow. Yeah. You know, right from Miami, home by home, you have the capacity to explode into the Latino world like like few other places. Mm. Because that's part of, of, of your outpost for Jesus. That's why I say the home. And of course, I, I'm, a, I'm so agreement with you, John. If you guys export humans and Cuban co- coffee, you'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, One of it, our dearest friends down in Miami, he's been with us. He was my little league baseball coach when they fled Cuba years ago. Uh, I, I used to go down to Miami to have Cuban coffee with Jose. And I say, Jose, this is how we're going to win the world. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Uh, oh, it's great. You know, the, the idea that you said of just inviting somebody to your home to mm. get personal, it resonates. I, I, um, I grew up one of my close friends. Um, he is Iranian. And um, one of the things that his dad would say when he wanted to have me come over, because we constantly at our home, uh, we would have him over. He would have, you know, join us for spaghetti night. Or when my mom made, you know, roca pollo or something like that, he would, he loved that. He loved my mom's cooking, you know, making Colombian cuisine and stuff for him. Dang, I'm, I'm going to be and, around the next flight. Dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but one of the things when his dad wanted me to come over and, and take part, he would say, come home. And wow. that was ingrained in their culture, you know, wow. um, and it was a tea for That's them. So right. Beautiful. So it was, it was uh, come home for tea, come home for tea, you know, and it was that idea of come home for tea. And it was, it, it wasn't come to my home, right. It was come home for tea. And that was the invite and the, and what was wrapped around the invite was the idea of come into our home and come become part of our home as we sit down and converse. Right. And that's the idea. And I think you're right. I think when we, Cody, I have an assignment for you. Yeah. Uh Oh, you've already, you've already written two books, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Here's your third. Come home for tea. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a beautiful title, Cody. That's so beautiful. What a great story. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's publishable brother. (laughs) It's already copyrighted. Don't you got to endorse it too? Doc. <laughs> He's got anything, but any endorsement. Yeah, that's beautiful. Sorry, I cut you off, Cody. No, no, that's fine. That, that that was the story, but it is just a beautiful idea. And and um, you know, he became very close and, and a very tight part of my family. And and eventually, um, you know, I would call his dad Baba, which is you know, um their term for dad and and so he called my parents mom and dad and so it was all because of that invite home mm. you know come eat with us come yeah. become part of our family so that's beautiful i think that's a great message for the body of christ of north america yeah you know and coming out of covid too we've got to begin to feel comfortable again and it might take some spiritual courage to begin to invite the neighborhood back in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We've really isolated out of fear and not without due cause, of course. Um, but now is going to be, I think the time for we, we in the church, we need to be the lead in getting the home back opened up again to invite the community in because mm-hmm. that's the place where life giving mission in Jesus 
takes place around the family and then the broader community when the saints all come together i i i teach various courses and it, it always it amazes me that students still think the best place for evangelism is to take this person to my church and i keep screaming back at them take them to your home mm, yeah that's let the them see life yeah mm-hmm. and and introduce jesus to them in that setting and it, it's a perfect Jesus embodied in, in jars of clay. Yeah. Which yeah. is exactly what Jesus had in mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I've heard so much with different cultures. The way to reach, like with Muslim cultures, is you invite them to come do like Christmas with you or Easter celebrations at your home. And when they invite you to come, you know, see what Ramadan is all about, you go. Uh, But it's opening the conversation. So next time you're sitting and having them over for dinner and discussion, the questions are out there. It's not invite them to come worship with you. Invite them to sit and see how you do life and what the difference is. And that's very key. Well, Dr. J, you have been a blessing uh, to John and I and our church and also to this podcast. I hope and pray that it just feeds people. Uh, Any parting words of of wisdom as we uh, move from uh, this podcast today? You know, especially as your your concerns and maybe if your audience is pastoral um, or to whatever degree pastors are listening in, just be encouraged. The Holy Spirit makes us overseers Mm -hmm. so even in the midst of us analyzing the cultural contexts and its acute challenges and this unique moment we live in just be mindful that acts 2028 is still real (laughs) the holy spirit is the maker of overseers in in his bride so just just anchor your soul in that in this tough season amen stay in love with people stay in love with his word and just do the work Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you, well, Doc. Dr. J. Thank you for your time. God bless you and keep you, brother. God bless. Take care. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.